0: Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, this week, we want to take a look at what happened at COP26 very briefly and what it will mean for the future we also want to look at how to create supply chain advantage and what you can do to make your organization more competitive and we'll look at the problem of inventory in relation to supply chain advantage so lots to do let's get started the COP26 conference ended with some agreements but not the agreements that will necessarily achieve the one and a half degree lowering in temperature within the time scale needed. So a bit feeble by some nations but it's going to cost a lot of money for some countries to sign up and commit to those changes even though we all know We need it, even the countries that have held back and been reticent. The future of supply chains, of course, should be green, clean, and that's what I've been talking about for some time. And being green and clean is about the choices we make at any point in time, choices for the fuels we use to drive the plants that we operate, choices for the fuel that we use for transportation, to heat the plans, to heat the office spaces, and those are choices within limits that all organisations can think about. But of course it does come down to cost. And we all know the long-term cost is great, but the short-term cost might mean that your business just can't afford those sorts of changes. So... We need some leadership from governments to show the way that this can be done and we need some tax breaks perhaps that will allow those changes to take place. But the timescales need to be reasonable also. So here's a quiz question for you. What has Australia got in common with India and China. I'll let you ponder on that for a moment. And it relates to COP26 and the discussions that took place. So have you guessed it yet? Yeah, I think you might have it. It's coal. India, China said that they wouldn't be getting rid of coal completely But they would be lowering it. And Australia, too, is not so keen on getting rid of coal immediately, because they have plenty, too. So the big coal-producing states obviously have an issue with getting rid of coal, even though they probably know in their heart of hearts that that is maybe the only way to go if we're to save the planet. I spend a lot of time reading about supply chains and supply chain data. And also data is very important and it does drive the supply chain. We need the data to understand what's going on. But another issue is also important and that's the one in relation to supply chain relationships. And that's not given as much attention, I don't think, nowadays, as it used to get. But it's still something we need to consider. What kind of relationships do you have with your supplier base? And are you working closely with that supplier base to make your supply chains more efficient and more effective? Because through those partnerships, you can really generate some leverage for the whole network. And it's important, I think, to just revisit that a little bit and think about the gains there are to be made and the advantages that can accrue to an effective supply chain partnership. So that's what we're going to discuss in this episode. And we'll think about how that plays out in practice. I want to talk about how to create supply chain advantage in this episode. And when I think about supply chain advantage, there are certain things and certain principles that come to mind. And let's take four. We need to look after cost. We need to look after quality. And we need to look after time. So think of cost, speed, quality, time. And also, I'd add to that, something else that gives us advantage is capability and experience. So there's probably not four things, but five things that we need to focus attention on. And I often employ my own 7V framework when I'm acting as a consultant or advisor to companies. And that helps me think of how to structure the things I need to consider in their organisation. And so I have in mind... That I would look at volume, velocity, variability, visibility, virtuality, variety and where and how value is created in the supply chains being run by the organisation I'm looking at. And remember, we're not just looking at a single supply chain. Lots of discussions assume that we're just looking at one supply chain. But organisations run many supply chains. If you're running 200 lines of product through your organisation, then those might all be different supply chain arrangements that you've put in place. I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I mean, one of the best lessons I learned was probably when I spent time in a manufacturing plant many, many years ago, my first experience looking after the accounting function, looking at cost in that particular plant. And one of the key things was to watch stock levels. And I knew that if the stock level was too high, that we'd invested too much cash into stock, probably. And if stock wasn't moving fast enough, I knew that that was gonna come back and bite us. We'd be left holding stock that we couldn't sell, or we'd have stock that was gonna be scrapped in some way, or was gonna be obsolete. And so managing inventory was a very important lesson right from the off. And so it should be because lots of manufacturing businesses have more than 50% of the asset base tied up in inventories. Now that inventory can be in all kinds of places. It can be in your warehouse. It can be on the move, on the road, in ships, where you carry in the risk. It can be even in store where you've got uh, particular types of Sale and buyback agreements with operations where you retain the ownership of the stock. Uh, So, you need to know what's happening with your inventories. And when we talk about supply chains, one of the key things to understand there's lots of things in the news about resilience at the moment, but resilience you can't make every supply chain resilient. Some supply chains may not need to be resilient. Retailers have a phrase for it, when it's gone, it's gone. And it may be that you have to learn with some of your inventory lines that it's not continuously replenishable and therefore you're making an offer to your customers that's different. Some of your lines, of course, will be continuously replenishable and what you become known for. And if you're a brand and you're restocking retailers wholesalers or you're selling to other businesses on a regular basis then they will expect you to be holding stock or to have stock ready when they demand it and that can be a business changer you can win the business or you can lose the business so you need to focus on inventory and inventory is not just the idea that all supply chains that your organization runs are all the same because they're not you will have different types of supply chain. I can remember it back in that manufacturing plant that I talked about where I learned my first lessons about managing inventories. We had 12 production lines and those 12 production lines were all very different. We'd be running some production lines for some of our regular customers. We'd have production lines that would be running for the one-off customer or for the occasional customer. And we'd have other production lines that would be variable in different ways. And when we looked at each of those lines, we could see the profitability on each line was different. And that didn't matter too much to us because we could look across the piece and we could say, okay, lines one, two, and three, there are bread and butter. They keep the overheads paid lines, four, five, and six they're the lines that go to our regular repeat businesses and we need to look after them and we might negotiate special prices and different prices for those lines four five and six. Some lines would be test lines where we'd run production for a company maybe that was trialing with us and that line or another line might be a marginal business line in the sense that we were prepared to not do a full overhead recovery on a line because we didn't need to. We could go in, get the business, win the custom. They could see how good we were and they would come back for repeat business. So there were different ways of, of looking at the lines. And I think when you think about supply chains in your organization, you ought to be thinking, which are the lines we need to keep an eye on the cost closely? I'm not saying you don't keep an eye on cost on all the lines because you should be. But I think there are some lines that, uh, and some supply chains that you ought to be looking at and saying, yeah, this needs to run lean. And you need to keep your costs low and it might be because it's highly competitive or it might be that you don't want to get uh, tied up in inventory. So you need to run those lines on lean principles. Other lines, you need to be agile. And those agile lines are the ones where you're trying to perhaps create new products, create new ways of working, trying things out. It might be that you're responding to a market need at that point in time. So the agile lines or the agility focus might come in in that situation. And then there are lines where you've got your main sort of the overhead covering lines, if you like, the uh, the stables of the business or the staples of the business not the stables, the horses bolted, the staples of the business. So if you think about the staples of the business, then you need to think about those lines and think about those as resilient lines. Those are the lines you need to keep running for your customers, because those are the repeat customers that keep coming back. They may be the brand customers that might be the business to business arrangements that you have. But whatever, those are the lines that are resilient. Not all your lines will necessarily be resilient. So when we talk about resilience, you have to take the idea that not all supply chains need to be resilient. Some need to be low cost, lean. Some need to be agile. Maybe they're not all the same all the time. The speed at which goods move through, supply chains will be different depending on the different stock keeping units that you have and the different categories that you engage in if you're in a slow moving category then you have to recognize it's slow moving but for that slow moving category perhaps you want to work out your costs in some detail to ensure that you're passing on the uh, cost of keeping and holding that stock to customers through the price in some way so it has to be reflected in the price On your fast-moving lines, then you can have flexibility. If you keep stock moving and it's turning over, then you've got some flexibility in what you can do. And so there are different ways to think about your supply chains. And when you manage supply chains, you have to have different strategies, not just for the organisation, but for each of your supply chains. Each supply chain might have its own unique strategic approach to that supply chain and you need to be thinking about that so i'm going to leave it there and let you think about that and reflect and perhaps you can have a look in your business and take a look about and see which lines are resilient which lines need to be lean which lines need to be agile and uh, think about the mix listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast with Tony Hines. When we talked about supply chain partnerships, often people would say, well, what does that mean, a supply chain partnership? Well, obviously, there is no one type of partnership. There are a number of different types of partnerships. It might be one-to-one. It might be a, a network of cooperation in the relationships. It might be a partnership that exists on a simple buy-sell, or it might be a partnership that exists with complementary talents that can actually leverage what goes on in that supply network. So there are different arrangements for these supply chain partnerships. I detail all different types of arrangements in my Supply Chain Strategies book. And they haven't really changed very much in terms of how those arrangements work, except there's a lot more collaboration today than ever in the past. They're not aggressive partnerships. An adversarial buyer-seller relationship is not a partnership. That's not a partnership if it's aggressive and one side has all the power A partnership is exactly what it says. It's a partnership of complementary talent. And so when we think about these different sort of arrangements, we have to think what we want from our partnership before we ever engage in that partnership. It's always very important to see what the other side has to offer, what they can bring to the table, and to have open discussion about what the benefits are to each party in the supply chain, so that you can understand how to build competitive advantage in such a way that everybody gets a win-win situation. And I think that's the key to a successful long-term partnership. I think one of the great partnerships that did exist for a very long time was between Marks and Spencer, are a UK retailer, with one of its suppliers, Dewhurst, who made most of the clothing in the early days for Marks & Spencer. And that partnership worked very well until the retailer had to fill more lines, Dewhurst couldn't satisfy, they couldn't make the goods at the cost, and it eventually ended And it was competitive forces that changed the nature of that partnership. And that's often the case, because what's good for one era may not be good for another era. But I don't think it's good just to always think about the price and cost in a partnership. It's about the benefits and the long-term skills that you're able to access which you would not otherwise access. A couple of things I saw this week, one of which is a flashback to the Ever Given, and I saw some photographs of the ship after its repair. There was quite a major repair to the uh, bow, of the ship and to the engines around the engine area. So obviously it was quite badly damaged in the Suez Canal debacle back in the first quarter of the year. Don't know how much it cost, but uh, big repair. But it does look uh, almost brand new now. Well, when it comes to climate change and all the efforts and proposals that come out of a conference like the COP26 conference, one wonders what happens beyond that. All sorts of promises are made, but can they deliver on the promises? And it comes down to big companies having to deliver on those promises because lots of the carbon footprints are generated by large multinational Companies. 90% of the footprint is embedded in the raw materials or the packaging for goods and services that we buy. And so, if we don't transform actually what we buy, then that footprint's going to stay as it is. Regulators will set, no doubt, the way in which the targets set will be policed once they become policy. But it's difficult to know how effective they are. It's quite a big task, of course, for the Companies concerned, it's no easy game to play. And I read somewhere this week about Mars and PepsiCo trying to look at their own supply chains across more than 100 countries and to see how they can make changes to that supply chain. The interesting thing, when they started to look at the supply chain, they learned that uh, just 10% of the top 200 suppliers had any climate targets in place. And the top suppliers account for roughly 80% of Mars total greenhouse gas emissions. Now that's something. The firm honed in on the 30 biggest suppliers, predominantly large-scale farms, supplying to other competitors globally. So they began to map what was going on. And that's a big process in itself. That can take six months to two years to do the mapping process. So they're quite serious about it. So there we are. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chain Reaction. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.